Hey, it's Brian, back with another Burr Month's bonus episode. I hope your Christmas season is off to a great start. First, thanks as always to everyone who's left a review recently on Apple Podcasts. Those reviews make the show more visible to people searching for Christmas content, so it's kind of like spreading Christmas cheer. And I'll even send you a sticker to say thanks. You can message me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram for details, or write me at christmaspastpodcast at gmail.com. That email address is also the place to send me your Christmas memories to be included in an episode this season. There's still time. Record a voice memo into your phone and send it over. Keep it to roughly a minute, make it clean and family-friendly, and be sure to say your name and where you're from. Now before we get to the episode, let me remind you of a couple of things. First, Christmasland is an immersive Christmas movie experience happening on December 15th in Los Angeles. When you walk into Christmasland, you'll feel like you're walking into your favorite Christmas movies. With a gingerbread decorating competition, a crafting corner, and carolers serenading, you'll be sure to get all the feels. There will also be a live panel discussion with some Hallmark favorites. So follow at Christmasland Experience on Instagram and stay tuned for ticket announcements. There might even be some giveaways along the way as well. And I'll be there too. I hope to see you there. Also, Christmas in July is coming in, wait for it, July, on the 24th through the 26th in Nashville. Some of the celebrity guests have already been announced, including Joey Lawrence and Brendan Fair. I'll be there too, and I'd love to see you. Go to silverscreenevents.com for details. You can also look for at Christmas in July convention on Instagram or at a July Christmas on Twitter. I'll put links to all of the above in the show notes for this episode, so you should be able to see those on your phone in whatever app you're using to listen to this podcast, but you can also go to christmaspast.media to find them and everything else that's there. Okay, now on to the show. Here at Christmas Past, I dig into the backstories behind Christmas traditions. But what happens when you can't even verify that the thing you're researching even is a tradition? That's what happened when I started looking into the Christmas pickle. You've probably seen these pickle tree ornaments, or maybe seen posts about them on your social media feed. The story goes that it's an old German tradition, but the more you dig in, the more you have to wonder about that. Well, luckily, someone else has already done the heavy lifting, and a trained journalist, no less. Richard Parks III is the host of Richard's famous food podcast. And last year, he dedicated an episode to his investigation on this topic. I've linked to that episode in the show notes. Last week, I, along with Tim Babb from Can't Wait for Christmas and Craig Kringle from Weird Christmas, caught up with Richard to try to get to the bottom of this strange and mysterious phenomenon. We had fun chatting, theorizing, philosophizing, and generally having a silly good time talking about this tradition, which may not even be one. I'll be back at the end to say goodbye, but for now, here's our conversation with Richard Parks III. There's a Christmas question that's been bugging a few of us. We need to know about pickles. And I'm sure lots of people have seen pickles on your Christmas trees or other people's Christmas trees and wondered what is up with that. So three of us who have our little Christmas podcast decided that we needed to answer that question and we found an expert. Expert, would you like to introduce yourself? Well, I'm at least the guy who's made a podcast about Christmas pickles and... <laughs> And I don't know how many other people in the world can say that. I think that maybe, maybe nobody. Um, so happy to be here with you guys. I'm Richard Parks the Third, 
and uh, I'm here on behalf of my podcast, Richard's Famous Food Podcast. Um, last year, about a year ago, right now, I was in the throes of a very serious investigation into this mystery of why people hang pickle-shaped ornaments in their Christmas trees. So the first obvious question is, why do people hang pickled ornaments on their Christmas trees? <laughs> well, so I knew nothing about this. Uh, apparently, you guys have heard of this, but as you might have noticed, the logo to my podcast is a anthropomorphic pickle. It's me as a pickle, a pickle with a mustache. Uh, and thus, I have been receiving a lot of sort of, uh, can we say, fermented ephemera um, as gifts uh, since I started my show. And one such gift that I received multiples of over the past few years is a bumpy, glass-blown, pickle-shaped ornament. Uh, they're usually from Germany. And after I got like three or four of these, I decided to start looking into, well, why are there these pickle-shaped ornaments? Uh, turns out there's a commonly told story, and then as with most cultural origin stories, once you start looking closely at it at all, there's a lot more to it than that, and it's a lot more complicated. Um, and, and the most commonly told story, um, well, might not be the whole truth. And that, you know, I was just at a Chris, uh, a big uh, Chris Kindle market in Chicago. And yeah, there are tons of the ornaments about. And I even found one little place that was handing out little green cards that I'm sure told what you're going to tell us is the wrong story of the pickle uh but that was that that lie was being propagated I'm okay so sure. so what so, did it, what did it say uh it just said that there was well it didn't actually go to the origin but it did tell the story about how there's a tradition in germany that when you wake up on christmas morning there's going to be a pickle on the tree somewhere and the child who finds the pickle first is the one who gets a little extra special present or something like that right now, they didn't say extra why present. a pickle mm-hmm Right. Well, so, so there it is. It's, uh, I, I don't know if most um, Christmas origin stories uh, point back to Germany, but, but this one certainly does. <laughs> and um, you guys can tell yeah, me. Yeah, we have all the origin stories here. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was just waiting for that to happen. Yes. <laughs> it was just a matter of time. <laughs> Do we play it? Like, is there a drinking game that goes every time someone does a, a German uh, accent on a, on a Christmas podcast, you take a drink? And there would be, but we'd need good German beer. We're several steps ahead of you on that, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, I, I, I love um, culture hopping into a completely different place. Uh, this is exciting so far. But yeah, so that's what it says. Often these, as, as you pointed out, uh, often these ornaments come with a, a little card telling a story about how it's from Germany. They're often made in Germany, where a lot of there's a lot of glass-blown ornament craftsmanship. I feel like I'm speaking to a room full of experts and I'm like, uh, you know, saying the most basic version of things that you guys probably know backwards and forwards. But this is all all stuff that was new to me um, as of about a year ago. And uh, but what I found what the, where this story took me was, um, you know, some interesting, unexpected places like the Christmas pickle capital of the world, which is in a town in western Michigan called Berrien Springs, um, where there are. There have been uh, huge celebrations of the Christmas pickle and, and sort of like some, some sort of like uh, festivist activities uh, um, around this tradition. 
But it turns out that if you follow it back to Germany, there is not a majority of the population in Germany today that even knows about this. So mostly it's a German-American or a straight-up American cultural tradition that you know we can kind of trace back most of a century here in this country. But if we go back farther than that, it's just sort of the you know, the chain gets broken and we don't know really where it came from. Uh, you know, of course, we have we have St. Nick. We have the fact that all these glass blown ornaments are coming from from this part of the world. And then we have a good marketing story um, there. Are, and, and there are a couple other like folkloric. Uh, th there's there's a folktale um, about a Union soldier in the American Civil War who was captured and was starving to death and was begging some guards, you know, at the brink of his life uh, to to spare him and, and to give him something to eat. And it was a, a Christmas uh, part of the year, uh, somewhere right around Christmas in the, during the Civil War, and, and he was given a pickle that saved his life. That's another story. Um, oh, wow. I like that one. Yeah, it's pretty good, right? So between that and, uh, and and there's even one that goes back to Spain. And then, of course, if, if you look around in Europe and, and it, you know, if you go back a few hundred years, in a lot of European cultures, there are some pretty hilarious and fascinating, like, pickle folk tales where there are kids being, you know, hiding in, in pickle barrels or being drowned in pickle barrels sort of nefariously by, by witches and, you know, all sorts of... Uh, plausible explanations for how this emerged as a, as a folktale in Europe. Um, but again, uh, there's just a lot of uncertainty, um, as I say, with, with, with any cultural story. I mean, I think if you look at it too hard, you know, you'll just go crazy with, with the options, but makes for, for a fun investigation. And some of my most stressful moments as an investigative reporter uh, can be heard on this episode called Christmas Pickles. And so how does one Wait, go about conducting uh, an investigation of this sort? Well, you know, I, I'm a shoe leather reporter from, from the old, you know, the age of print. So uh, I just hit the pavement, pick up the phone. Um, that's how I ended up in the Christmas pickle capital of the world. But I started with my friends who gave me the ornaments um, and sort of unraveled the story from there, you know, going from the common, you know, the card that we talked about that comes with a lot of these pickles um, and then, you know, just using primary sources, just um, just many, many phone calls uh, to anonymous people. And I, I ended up finding, you know, the man who played Santa Claus in the Christmas pickle capital of the world. His name is Dick Schinkle and uh, or Richard Schinkle. So two Richards. We got along great. And he claims that they're actually he he found evidence that there were some German people from a certain area of Germany that did remember this tradition or being told about this tradition going back generations. So almost as if the link got broken, you know, back in the old country and then here in Western Michigan where he lives, they keep it alive. This is an area of the country where until somewhat recently, um, there was a lot of like cucumber production and other vegetables being grown where they were made into pickles. And so, there's all sorts of confusing, you know, overlapping threads here uh, as to how this thing, you know, has survived in the culture. Are so, you saying this might be a myth propagated by Big Pickle in order to keep their pickle stocks high? <laughs> That's exactly what I'm saying. Um, 
I'm here to stand up to Big Pickle. No, no, I'm on board with Big Pickle. I mean, as you can see, the logo of my podcast is is a pickle with a mustache. So um, maybe I'm financed by Big Pickle, but you guys haven't asked me any hard questions yet. <laughs> <laughs> you got to hold his feet to the fire. That's right. I got to know first, is the Pickle Festival still going on? Is Unfortunately, still- no. But uh, uh, yeah, it was, so I, I called like the Historical Society there and... Um, the lady who picked up, she was super helpful, like knew basically like everything. I got like all the information all in one go. Uh, she, her name was Kelsey Kernett. You can hear her on the podcast. And uh, she also had this amazing deadpan where I like, I've never felt so much like a helicopter journalist as when I called the Christmas pickle capital of the world. And I like, I've done reporting in India and Cambodia and Appalachia. And, you know, I'm just this LA guy. But when I called that town, Berrien Springs, I felt like I was just descending from Mars. And like, I, I sent Kelsey the logo to my podcast thinking she would at least acknowledge it as a coincidence that it's uh, me as a pickle and this is what I'm looking into. And there's just this amazing moment on the podcast where she just basically has the greatest deadpan reaction to it. She's just like, yeah, so, so what, why would, why, why is this significant? <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, Varian Springs, I think it's been since, I don't know, it's maybe been a decade since they've done it. Um, but Dick Schinkel, who's getting on in years, um, has played Santa. And what he'll tell kids when they're sitting on his knee is that Santa doesn't want a cookie this year. What he really wants is for you to leave him a pickle. And so this is back to the big pickle thing that we're joking about. But like, I think there is some cultural importance of like, working in pickles in that area of Western Michigan, where Berrien Springs, the Christmas pickle capital of the world is. Um, And so he, again, yeah, he's getting on in years. The question that I sort of like leave you with in uh, the podcast, which by this description sounds more normal than it is. It's like rhyming and I do accents and there's songs and there's all sorts of craziness. You got to check it out. Um, it's much more interesting than, than just listening to me talk. But it, the question that I leave you with is like, after Dick Schinkel is gone, you know, who will carry on this tradition? Um, because when I asked him, who else should I talk to about this? He was like, well, I can think of some people, but they're all gone. You know, what's actually happening here, Richard, you're being groomed to become <laughs> the next big pickle man. It's the role I was born to play. I mean, why do you think I chose the podcast logo that I did? Okay, so Craig and Tim, between the three of us, I would have to say that we have, I don't know how much Christmas knowledge, but because this is a story with a lot of blanks in it, I think we can start to do some of the work of filling in some of those blanks, because as I'm listening to this, a couple of things are coming to mind. Uh, Number one, as Richard points out, the ornaments themselves are German in nature. And starting around pre-World War I, Germany was and still is one of the major manufacturers of glass-blown Christmas ornaments. They would make glass-blown Christmas ornaments in any shape you could imagine. So a pickle was almost just a matter of time before something like that was going to happen. So I think we can establish, mm-hmm. basically, you know, given enough time and enough people with Christmas trees, a pickle ornament is, is going to appear. The idea of something being hidden 
and it, the the person who finds it getting some extra prize, which appears to be part of the myth of the Christmas pickle, is actually something that goes back even further than that. There is the tradition of what's known as the Bean King, B-E-A-N, where the Christmas mm-hmm. cake would have a string bean in it. Sometimes it was a coin, and whoever slice contained that bean or coin or whatever it happened to be would preside over the festivities for the evening. Um, and then also... I'm thinking of other stories of where whole Christmas traditions are just made up out of nowhere, uh, like how they eat fried chicken in Japan on Christmas, right? That was just mm-hmm. some someone in the 70s just sort of decided that that was going to become a Christmas tradition, and so it did. There are other examples like that that aren't immediately coming to mind, but I think if we put the three of those together, that someone somewhere had a Christmas pickle on their tree— like you know, and then maybe played a little game where whoever found it in the house was going to get some kind of prize that came over to America, and it was maybe thought to be that was more of a thing in Germany than it really was. And then the myths could could sort of propagate, and what better place than a place where they're already manufacturing a bunch of pickles? I, this sounds like something along those lines, and probably helps to explain why you can't really find a lot of documentation or historical record of it ever being a true tradition. Yeah, because the other thing I was thinking about is if it was a long time ago, like a real pickle, it just seems like awkward to hang a pickle on a tree. <laughs> it's like, I mean, like I guess you could certainly cram a hook in there and hang it on there. But no, it, it makes more sense that it was an ornament first rather than than that. I mean, because certainly people used to hang actual little, you know, candies and fruits and gifts and, and mm-hmm. I mean, uh, different foods on the tree. And so I was trying to think, but how would a pickle end up on there? I mean, it's not sweet. And I don't think it was ever considered to be, you know, a treat exactly. Yeah, by, by, by 12 family. Night, that didn't have uh, fruits or candies. They're like, look, we got a pickle. <laughs> we are hanging the pickle on the tree and you'll be grateful for the pickle. You find the pickle, you get a prize. What is the prize, Faza? A second pickle! <laughs> <laughs> but I would suspect this is, I, I remember seeing a documentary not long ago where they went to China and were showing people who lived there fortune cookies. And they, they had no idea what they even were, right? Like, mm-hmm. this is just something that in America we assume is something that is real in China, but it just it isn't. I wonder if anyone has actually gone to Germany, any, by anyone I mean any of the four of us on this call, and found that, found that tradition alive and well. Well, I, actually, the New York Times had covered this in some way before I got there. They, they beat me to it. And uh, but what they found was that in, in a survey, nine in 10 Germans had never heard of this. And so <laughs> yeah, there, there's Big Pickle again for you. But, but you know, coming back to the idea of what uh, I, I wonder if you guys know about this link, who we'll bring it up in the podcast, because I call a man named Sandor Katz who wrote a book called The Art of Fermentation, which is just a fantastic book about fermentation and, and preserving, uh, borrowing you know, stories and techniques from all over the world. And I figured if anyone would know, um, you know if, if, if such a tradition uh, existed anywhere else, it would, it would be this man. And when I got him on the phone, he had no idea what I was talking about. But as a Jew, he said, this reminds him of the tradition of the Afi Komen, um, it, where where the matzah in, in a Jewish tradition is hidden somewhere in the household. And again, the kids go look for it. And whoever finds it, I believe, gets some kind of prize or, or, or good fortune. Very similar. 
Yeah, and there's a the, like I said, there's a lot of that in Christmas Past. Uh, not only for you know finding something hidden, but rather you know the first to um, you know, first across the threshold on Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve was said to either bring good luck to the household or had some special responsibility. Uh, those things go way way back, 16th, 17th century, and probably even further than that. I think it's uh, what I'm really curious to know is whether this is something that is like ever was a real tradition that died out or if people uh, it sort of one or two people kind of assumed that it was and gave it a little more import than it actually has or if it's just wholly made up i think there's there's that seems less likely to me because what's the incentive um other than to sell merchandise but that doesn't really seem to be the case here well do, how cynical do you guys get on these on your show I am thoroughly cynical. Thoroughly? Okay. Okay, yeah, cool. Not at all cynical. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let's go somewhere in the middle then. I, if you think about it, uh, you know, even if it's like early 20th century, you know, if these ornaments are are coming into the U.S. market, I mean, isn't like Sears Roebuck going? Like, isn't there a possibility that someone figured out how to put that little card on this ornament and, you know, attach this story to it as a way of selling it? I'm not saying that it never existed before, but... I'm saying that the the sort of the propagation of the myth here in America could have uh, benefited from uh, a strong marketing arm. Yeah, and I know that one of the largest sellers of German-made goods uh, is actually a, a whole larger story about how Christmas became, quote-unquote, democratized here in America. In the early 20th century, it was retailers like Woolworths and Wanamakers and Macy's, all in New York City, but especially Woolworths, which was importing a lot of German goods and selling them at low costs. And so when we say that they helped democratize Christmas, they made it really accessible to people in the middle class and people of maybe more modest means. Um, I would imagine there would be some record of that from there. And the more we're talking about this, the more I'm thinking that there are other traditions that have been in place for a long, long time, but then there are those who seem to have an interest in changing the story or the meaning behind them. And the, the example that always comes to mind is the candy cane. It's called a candy cane, but there are candy canes that you can buy with a little tag on it saying, well, actually the red represents, you know, the blood of Christ and it's not a cane, it's a J if you turn it upside down. It's really a candy J for Jesus. Now that's just somebody making stuff up. There's absolutely no reason to believe because there's actually pretty good historical uh, records of when and how the candy cane came to be. Uh, they didn't even originally have red stripes on them. They were pure white when they first came out. And there are other ones like that too, like the 12 days of Christmas are supposed to be some sort of hidden religious message of the catechism. And again, none of it's actually true. I really wonder if perhaps the Christmas pickle began as something a lot more benign and maybe hyper-local to one or two communities and then came to America and then someone maybe saw the opportunity to add some special import to it for whatever po possible reason. You know, I, I think you're you're hitting the nail on the head because I'm looking through my notes and I remember there's a there is a connection to Woolworths here. You know, I didn't want to overemphasize it um, or or bum anyone out um, by by destroying the myth. But uh, but I, I think that that has a lot to do with it. And again, what Dick Schinkel said about how he found some people in a specific area of Germany who who recalled this, it all adds up to, uh, you know, the, the the narrative that you just suggested. So. Weihnacht Gurkha is how we say it. <laughs> and oh, think... and the other detail I forgot, the, the, that man in the Civil War, that prisoner, mm. he was born in Bavaria, now Germany. Ah. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking where I've seen these, and I've only, 
ever really i've never actually known anyone who had one on their tree deliberately like or not i I shouldn't say deliberately i have known people who had them on their tree because they saw them somewhere and thought it was a cool thing and put it on there but i've never known anyone who did it traditionally and i have seen them tons like in stores like i mentioned it at that chris kindle market there was a whole display from one of the german um uh, glass ornament makers of pickles of all different sizes and shades of green and um, even some red and white ones. I mean, there plenty of selection. And I know when I got to visit Bronner's, the huge uh, Christmas store, which is also in Michigan, mm-hmm. um, they certainly had along with there was a whole section for international uh, ornament traditions like the little Christmas spider which has its own story and um, and the pickle was right there along with it telling the same kind of story about how in, in Germany, when you hang the pickle on the tree in Christmas morning, everybody comes to look for it. But again, that's in the context of selling it. Yeah. And, you know, for everyone who I found who had a story about playing this game as a kid, for all of them, it was like basically some version of, oh, yeah, well, my mother picked one of these up at the store and we read the card and we started doing it. It wasn't that it, you know, like it, it wasn't that it went back farther than that. Yeah. It was ye old tradition of we found this at Target. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, ye old instruction manual. Um, well, what's the weirdest ornament you guys know about? Like, like is is this sort of the end of the line in terms of weird ornaments, or can we get weirder? Oh, people make all kinds of stuff intentionally. Now, if we're talking about traditional or supposedly traditional things, the pickle's up there. Yeah. But, um, yeah, there was there was actually, I don't know if it's a tradition, but still the things that keep popping up and people send me pictures of all the time are uh, hunky mermen. There was, like, hunky mermen were apparently a big thing for a while um, for Christmas ornaments. Glass blown. I mean, really nicely made. And but yeah, there's there's I've so seen that, it. that's just a merman who is a hunk. Yeah, just like super buff dude up top, and you know, fish on the bottom, and usually wearing a Santa hat. And but there's if you search for him, there's a ton of those out there. I'm doing that. But right don't now. skip Finn Day, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but traditional, no, I mean, I think the the Christmas spider that I mentioned is one that kind of fits in with the pickle that supposedly people will um, find that that they'll hang one spider ornament on their tree because um, there's a a story about how the spider uh, at Jesus's birth um, up in the corner, he, uh, he or she carved or or spun a little web as, as their gift uh, to the Christ child and tried to, you know, keep him warm and, and free. Although I've heard different versions of that. So, so then there's supposedly you hang a spider. But again, when I look for the real tradition for that, it always just comes back around to stores trying to sell spider ornaments. Are are you sure someone did just misremember the the story Charlotte's web and combine (laughs) it with Christmas? (laughs) (laughs) I think it's that Woolworths had too many uh, spider web decorations left over from that year's Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> I have to say the things that always seem weirdest to me were the actual candles on the tree. Yeah. Just because I wonder how often that misfired. As very, were. very frequently. As a matter right. of fact, I did an episode about Christmas lights and the intro to that was talking about how people would hang the candles on the tree. And it was true for a long time that in many regions, insurance companies had to rewrite their policies to say that if you put candles on your tree and you light the house on fire, that is not on us. 
um, because, it, you know, like by, by default, it would have been covered. Yep. And it was true. I think the, the whole idea of putting lights on the tree goes back to a myth about Martin Luther, uh, that, you know, it was his idea to put candles on the tree because it was inspired by something that I'm not remembering at the moment. Uh, and it's, a, you know, it's a nice story, but it's almost certainly not true because the first records of lights on trees didn't come till well after he, he had come and gone. But there were all kinds of weird ways of trying to make that work, to make that safe. So one of the ways that they would put the candles on the tree is to actually stick a pin through it and and the pin would go through the candle and then into the branch. Uh, other times they would actually melt wax from the candle onto the branch and then try to get it to stay in place that, that way. Uh, both of those are just terrible ideas. <laughs> Around the early, maybe late 18th or early 19th century, someone came up with these these clips. It was a, a, a clamp that would go onto the trunk of the tree itself, and then a metal rod would shoot out from that out into just sort of like empty space off the outside of the tree, and it would have a candle holder at the end of that. Uh, that seems slightly safer, you know, because like you, in theory, you could have the rod be long enough that the candle is totally cleared any of the foliage. But the whole idea of, of a lit candle on a tree uh, is just, it, it confounds me that that was ever popular. And from the research I did, people would keep either buckets of sand or water nearby at all times. It is true, though, however, like when I first heard that people put lit candles on the trees, I thought it was the same way that, you know, I come home after work during the Christmas season, I turn on the tree and then like it's just on for the night. It would be the kind of thing you light it. Candles would be lit for a little while, almost like about as long as a birthday cake would be lit and then they'd all get blown out. So it's not like you would light the tree and then, you know, like that was it was just like up and about for like the whole evening. You're walking around like a lit tree in the background. That would just be absurdly silly. I'm sure that did happen. <laughs> a couple, you know, the eggnog starts flowing and someone forgets about right. it. But um, that was not how that worked. I think one well, thing if you go to bed and leave the Christmas lights on. It's another thing if you go to bed and forget to blow out the candles. Exactly. It's a different problem. I think what we can all agree on is that instead of candles, there's, there should be a preponderance of pickles on, on the tree because it, at least there, you're, you know, it might be a little stinky, but your house will be safe. <laughs> can, can we all agree on that? Oh, no. <laughs> well, I dare say this all gives me an idea that if it's possible to invent a Christmas tradition out of whole cloth and then make merchandise to go with it, what are we waiting for? Uh, it's called that? Elf on the Shelf. Elf they already the shelf. did it. Yeah. I was gonna say, yeah. I did a whole episode about it. Like they went from like an idea in somebody's head to a balloon in the Macy's Day Parade in like five years. Wait, so is there an Elf on the Shelf like Maven who's just like raking it in? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh yeah, it's, uh, it's a family. It's a family, two daughters and a mother. Oh my goodness! And okay, cool. Yeah. How are they doing? Uh, quite great. Well. Quite doing quite well. well. Christmas is quite merry at their house. So how far is that spread? So there is uh, Elf on the Shelf merchandising going on at like IHOP right now. There's an Elf on the Shelf cereal. There's uh, there have been some cartoons like like direct to video cartoons. There's a musical. Remember Tim and I were at Christmas Con not long ago, and we met that caroler whose sister had written all the music for that that show. Um, they have the yep their whole line of merchandise. And I'm they, they even have they now have a birthday elf so that they don't have to get all their money at the end of the year. That you can have the birthday elf will will ch- take a look at your kid during their birthday to make sure they're doing okay before so they can get birthday presents. And I saw pets this year too, dogs and cats, and, so that you don't and have the to. Pets have their own movie. Do they? Oh, that I hadn't heard. Oh my goodness! I think it's getting a sequel or a squeakquel. Mm. 
The one thing I like are just all the awful things that people make the elf on the shelf do. So it pays off for me when they'll have like, you know, where did we find the elf on the shelf? Upside down in the toilet this morning or whatever that they do. Those I appreciate. But yeah, that that I'd never let that come into my house, mainly because I would never remember to do it. I would forget pretty soon and just ruin the whole thing. So I could not do it. So what I just is like our- those rhyming memes that uh, end up popping up. Like, you've heard mm-hmm. of Elf on a Shelf? Well, here's uh, The Rock on a Sock or something like that. <laughs> and it's a Photoshop of, like, the, the Wayne The Rock Johnson standing on somebody's sock. I don't <laughs> know why. Those amuse me. I've got a few I'm not going to share now because <laughs> you guys may have a little cleaner thing. But if anyone's interested in some uh, interesting <laughs> ones, send me an email. Well, Weird since X-Men we're talking about... Uh, sorry, I just stepped on your, uh, your no, email. No, no. WeirdXmas at, at gmail.com. But since we're talking about uh, Christmas ornaments from way back when, does anyone here have a favorite Christmas tree ornament from, from their childhood or now? Uh, I got, though, the this is not like a way back at all. This is practically just a shill for Hallmark. But I got those three. It's like D- Mickey, Donald and Goofy. And you plug them in and they sing a carol with each other, no matter how far away they are from each other. Like they harmonize with three different carols, like depending on which one you start with. Oh, wow. I love that thing. I've got one that is a small little plastic or red plastic bell that my dad had and that his mom, my grandmother, put it at the bottom of the tree because when my father was a baby, he was fascinated by the tree and always wanted to touch stuff. So she got this bell that she could hang right at the bottom so that when he was little and could crawl up to it, he could just whack at it and have it make noise and actually feel like he got to play with something. So I still have that and I still put it on the lowest branch of the tree every year. So there's my sentimental side for the moment there. How about you, Richard? That's sweet coming from Mr. Weird Christmas. Uh, I, I don't have anything nearly so so yeah exactly nearly so sentimental. But um, as I said, I've gotten a few of these as gifts, and then after I put the episode out, um, uh, my sister traveled to Kiev before all the news and uh, found at like some sort of like open air market, like a flea market type situation, a, uh, a sort of bejeweled looking kind of like like tackily blinged out Christmas pickle, um, like sort of like a shining silver pickle, uh, which will be prominently displayed um, in, in my holiday uh, uh, presentation this year. So I think that's probably my, a new favorite. Harder to hide, though. <laughs> Too blinged out. Ryan, do you have one? Certainly you have one. I, I sure do. Uh, and this, there's a whole story to it. Uh, it. I don't know if we're all roughly the same age, but people my age, when they grew up, there was this homemade Play-Doh that you could make out of um, uh, flour and salt and water. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? It's like a salt dough, they call it. I think so, yeah. I think it's, I remember doing that, actually. That's basically, it's just as long as you get the ratio right, you end up with this paste that behaves kind of like Play-Doh. And anyway, my, my mom made some of that and then rolled it out like, like cookie dough. And then traced, uh, put my hand on it, and then traced my hand uh, with a, with a knife. So I cut out the shape of this dough in the shape of my hand. This was when I was three or four years old, so 1970 something. And then what she did is baked it, uh, so that it, you know it was like became hard, and then varnished it. She uh, coated it with shellac and painted my name on it in red nail polish, uh, along with the na- uh, the year, and then put a hole in the bottom of it and tied it to the Christmas tree with some red uh, ribbon or or yarn or something like that. 
when I moved out of the house in my uh, you know late teens, early twenties, I took all of my Christmas stuff. I still have all of my Christmas uh, phonograph records. If you guys follow me on Instagram, you see I play little clips from all of those. Those are all records I've had since I was like three, um, and I had all of the ornaments too, including this this hand one. And I put it on the tree one year when we were living in Jamaica Plain, Massachusetts, a suburb of Boston or neighborhood of Boston. And then we moved to another place. And then when we put out our Christmas ornaments for that year, I, I couldn't find the hand. And this thing is like one of my, my prized possessions, you know, like one of the few things that, you know, I would save in a fire is this thing. And I assumed. And so over the year, I couldn't find it. And I'm like, where did I put it? Did it get lost in the move? Did I break it? We had just gotten a dog who had eaten the, the bottom third of the tree the first year. Like all the ornaments just ate them right off. And I, I figured, and over the years, I developed this sort of like, what do they call those, mem- like a false memory? You know, like, the, oh, the dog mm-hmm. must have eaten this hand. It makes perfect sense, doesn't it? It's made out of flour and salt. Uh, so, of course, a dog would want that. And that's what happened to the ornament. Anyway, 20-something years goes by. And last December... A package arrives in the mail, this bubble wrap thing from my mom in Massachusetts. And I opened it up, and it was the hand. She had had it. I'd never had it. It was a false memory that when I moved out, she gave it to me. Because she gave me everything else, I assumed I had it. And even as I think back to it now, I still have the most vivid recollection of having it and hanging on the tree. But I was just remembering the time when I still lived uh, at home. So anyway, this thing came to the mail. And it was like, you know, I don't get... sappy or sentimental or never used the term Christmas miracle, like unironically, but it just, it felt like that. It was just this really, really emotional experience. Uh, So I still have it now and I will not hang it on the tree for fear of it breaking or the dog eating it. It's just going to be bubble wrapped and stashed somewhere uh, that I'll just take it out once or twice every Christmas to look at it and reminisce, but keeping that thing safe for forevermore. That's really cool. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I'm glad I went first with my stupid story. (laughs) (laughs) well guys have we um nailed the pickle at least i I think i think we've we've come up with our own theories i think we've vetted it as an idea i think that's all that's left to do is for us to give our own opinions on whether this is a viable christmas tradition that people should adopt or whether they should look at it with a bit of cynicism or skepticism or cautious amusement i am of the latter i think this is um Maybe something that it, it almost certainly is not a cherished tradition from Germany. Uh, it probably started out as something that maybe one or two people did, and that sort of got magnified as it came over here, probably for commercial purposes. And then it became like one of those games of telephone, where with each telling, something new is added or taken away until we get to where we are now, with something that is very far afield from wherever it may have begun. Whoa. You're breaking Dick Schinkel's heart. (laughs) (laughs) He's old anyway, right? (laughs) Oh, man. Well, I'm all about time turning lies into truth. So I'm Mm going to say we just embrace it and carry on the myth and keep it going. So I actually have a pickle now. I didn't, but I got one a couple years ago. So we don't do the game uh, of finding the pickle in the morning. It just hangs on the tree the whole time. But, um, yeah. I don't know. I kind of like the idea. It, gives, it actually gets the tree involved a little bit more. That's one thing about, you know, everybody looks at the tree, you know, it's sentimentally and we remember ornaments and whatnot. But I always like the idea that you would actually hang the gifts on the tree mm. um, in the time. And so I kind of like getting the tree a little more involved. So I'm uh, even if I know the truth, I'm going to pretend and start to encourage people to get their Christmas pickle. Mm. So got a brand one. Got to get the weird Christmas pickle and start selling that next year. That's my new, my new plan. 
Yeah, I'm of the opinion if you want to do it, I say go for it. Whatever makes your Christmas merry, it's your Christmas. You're allowed to do it however you want to. Does it have to be like, does it have to be rooted in some sort of like uh, uh, tangible truth? No, like most of Christmas traditions are not rooted. Like, it's not like there's uh, Santa's not in the Bible. You know what I mean? So if, <laughs> if the Christmas pickle brings you and your family joy, I say put that pickle on the tree and try and find it. I think it's a good way to sum it up. This is a holiday that is so rooted in, in myths and legend that what's one more to the mix, to, regardless of where it came from or how long it's been around. If it makes things merry and bright for you, then it is the right thing to do. That rhymed. I know. I didn't even think of that until I said it. <laughs> There's, okay, so that's, that's what I'm going to emblazon on my branded Christmas pickle. It, it's a Christmas <laughs> pickle miracle. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think uh, we should all thank Richard for helping us to shed some light on this mysterious and odd Christmas tradition. Absolutely. Thank you very much, sir. Yes, thank you, Richard. And if people it want to hear the, the entire episode, where can they go to hear more? Search Richard's Famous Food Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Follow along on social media at Richard's Famous. Uh, if you want to see some fun clips and a few uh, fermented style Christmas carols to boot, I'll be putting those up on the feed. Well, that all sounds great. Well, I hope you have a very merry and uh, perhaps dill uh, Christmas. Oh, there it is. <laughs> yep. That was a sweet joke. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to that, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to do so. I'd also like to thank Richard Parks III for coming on the show, as well as Tim Babb and Craig Kringle. You'll find links to everything in the show notes for this episode. Before I let you go, let me remind you that Christmas Past is produced in sunny San Mateo, California by yours truly, Brian Earle. Look for Christmas Past on Twitter and Instagram, and be sure to join the Facebook group for year-round Christmas fun. And if you're feeling the Christmas spirit, why not help more people find this show by telling a friend about it or leaving a review on Apple Podcasts? I'll be back again real soon with an all-new episode. Until we meet again, may your days be merry and bright. <laughs>